0: All Things Conceivable, a surrogacy podcast with Nazca Fontes. Welcome listeners. I'm so glad to have you back today. Uh, to, in today's segment, we're going to be touching on something that's really just so exciting and important and really advances all of us in the world of surrogacy. Uh, Today's show is what I like to call a showstopper. And the reason why is that we're going to be highlighting uh, a wonderful colleague, Dr. Jamie Griffo from NYU Langone. And specifically, we're going to be talking about New York's new law that is going to protect intended parents and surrogates who are going to build their families together in the state of New York. Uh, Prior to this law, New York outlawed gestational surrogacy and intended parents who needed the help and assistance of a gestational carrier had to go out of state to pursue their dream of having a family. So on today's show, we're going to be highlighting the advancement of this new law, and today's guest is going to help us understand where we've been and where we're going next. There's much to celebrate in New York this month. On February 15th, after years of compensated surrogacy being banned, the New York surrogacy laws go into effect, making dreams a reality for hopeful New Yorkers who want to build a family with surrogacy, and for women in New York who want to become surrogates to help those families do so. I'm joined today with Dr. Jamie Griffo, one of the foremost fertility experts in our field. He's the director at NYU Langone Fertility Center since 1995. He has an M.D., and a Ph.D. in obstetrics and gynecology, and teaches at NYU Medical School. So we feel really lucky today to have a pioneer in infertility on today's show. Welcome, Dr. Griffo, and congratulations to your home state.
1: Thank you so much. Yes, this is good news for us and our patients, uh, and, and the gestational carriers who now have more freedom and ability to help uh, other people become parents. It's great.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have a lot to get to today in a short period of time. So, you know, before we get to uh, the new law in New York and how this will impact the families who are going to utilize the, the generosity of its gestational carrier, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, I would love to know how you got into specializing in infertility. Please share with our listeners. So
1: I've been doing this for about 35 years. Um, when I was training at Case Western Reserve and, and did an MD and a PhD, Um, Part of the reason that training existed then was to help doctors be able to treat patients on a different platform to help use science to make uh, medicine better. And uh, when I did my rotation in obstetrics and gynecology as a medical student, it became clear this was a field that was ripe for uh, someone like me being able to help a lot more people than I see in front of me. So (laughs) we've developed a lot of new tools and techniques that have dramatically changed the way we practice, made it safer, better reduces miscarriage and allows us to put back single embryos. Uh, So that's been a long 35-year journey, and it's very relevant for the gestational carrier setting because getting your gestational carrier pregnant with an embryo that either doesn't make her pregnant or is higher chance of making a miscarriage is a problem. And we now have tools where we can select embryos, put back a single embryo, have a much lower miscarriage risk, and have a much better chance of a good outcome. And that's, that's good for everybody.
0: So what's really unique about you, Dr. Griffo, and you know, for those of us in the field who have followed you for a long time, we know that you come with a a certain set of unique tools that you bring to bear with treatment uh, for your patients. One, not only are you a medical doctor, but you're also a PhD. And knowing a little bit about um, your upbringing, you were always fascinated with science, right? And you had to sort of weigh, do I wanna be a scientist, do I wanna be a doctor? But you wound up combining both of those passions into your practice. So that also means that you've been on the forefront as a pioneer in many of these advancements and in improving outcomes for your patients. So if you reflect back on the 20 years of advancements, um, can you highlight just a couple of those for our listeners in terms of how they've improved patient outcomes?
1: So when I started in this field, the average age of first birth in America was 19. And if you just look at the social trend, we're having our babies older. Um, This system wasn't designed for that. Most of the embryos that women make, even at a young age, are chromosomally unhealthy. But, you know, as women approach 40 and older, the vast majority of the embryos are unhealthy and they don't make babies. And that's why in the old days we used to put back three and four embryos and hope the patient got pregnant and hope she didn't get triplets in the process. Um, I, I helped pioneer and did the first successful human embryo biopsy in the United States in 1992 to help us be able to select healthy embryos that make healthy babies and we've dramatically reduced the risk for miscarriage. A 40-year-old woman has a 40% chance of miscarriage, uh, and a 1% chance of getting to 16 weeks with a baby that has a chromosomal abnormality. With our technology, we've reduced the miscarriage risk from 40% to 10%. We've uh, reduced the risk for Down syndrome for, from one in 100 to one in 2,000. So, so those are those are great improvements for you know the quality of life for a fertility patient for the outcomes for the healthy baby that results. And I've been fortunate to be part of this. Uh, and it certainly is extremely relevant in the gestational carrier situation where somebody else would be carrying your embryo, paying for them to have a miscarriage is not good. It makes everybody feel bad, especially the carrier who feels like they failed when it's really the embryo that failed. Um, and, and so now putting back a, a single chromosomally healthy embryo and avoiding that is really good. And then also not having her Exposed to the risks of multiple pregnancies. Everybody loves twins. They're great when they're great, when there's no problem, but they have a sevenfold increased risk of cerebral palsy. They have a sevenfold increased risk of preterm delivery. They have a sevenfold increased risk of fetal death in the first year of life. I mean, these things aren't well known because they're so rare to begin with, but seven times a number is a real number, and there's a patient at the end of that number. So trying to make IVF safer and better has been the goal of all of us since we started in the 80s.
0: INDEED, YEAH, I I WOULD AGREE WITH YOU, THERE'S THIS, um, YOU KNOW, THERE'S, I THINK THE the IDEA OF TWINS IS, YOU KNOW, KIND OF A FANTASTICAL IDEA, A LOT OF PATIENTS, AND I THINK IN PARTICULAR PERHAPS EVEN SAME-SEX PATIENTS WHO HAVEN'T GONE THROUGH THE ARDUOUS JOURNEY OF INFERTILITY TREATMENT, RIGHT, SO THEY they MOVE INTO THIS IDEA OF BUILDING A FAMILY uh, BY WORKING WITH A GESTATIONAL CARRIER, AND THEY THINK, WELL, LET'S JUST GET IT ALL DONE IN ONE FELL SWOOP AND HAVE TWINS, and, you know, there really is quite a danger associated with it. So if we could just put a finer point on that, if you had to send a message to anyone considering uh, embarking on surrogacy as a family-building option and the idea of doing or transferring two embryos to have twins, what would you say to them in, you know, two sentences?
1: Well, it's just safer. It's safer to have a singleton pregnancy. The miscarriage risk is higher with twins, even if the embryos are chromosomally normal more of those those pregnancies are lost. And that is a devastating outcome, especially in the gestational carrier situation. I think the push to have twins with gestational carriers, the cost of having a carrier is pretty substantial. So I think some of it's driven by the financial aspects. But you know, you can put one embryo back at a time. You can get your twins two years apart. You can still call them twins. You're the boss. You're parents. You get to decide. <laughs> so that's what I, that's what I tell my patients, like less risk is better. And you know, when you're the patient and you haven't seen it, uh, hearing it from somebody who's done this 30 years and seen the tragic outcomes uh, explain it clearly, I think a lot of patients make better decisions. So it requires us to be really good in the way we guide our patients, uh, that we need to be empathetic and understanding with them, but also, and not judge them, but just to educate them. And, you know, what I've always found is if you, if you give everybody all the pertinent, important, correct facts they usually make really good decisions. So I've always felt like my patient will make a good decision because I did my job by giving them the right information. And I don't try and tell them to make a decision. I just give them data. And with data, they usually come to the right conclusion. And once in a while, a patient will have twins. Um, It it happens. And even with a single embryo, you can get twins 1% of the time because the embryo splits. But safety first, outcomes matter, healthy babies matter, and that's what we focus on.
0: And that's what we're all we're all driving for in this endeavor, right? A healthy outcome. And and you know, speaking of informed consent and patients really, you know, helping patients to guide them towards their best decision, you know, you I think have indicated that New Yorkers in particular are a pretty dynamic group of patients, very informed, they read a lot, they are partners in their care. And so when it comes to uh, surrogacy in New York, do you see that? Uh, also being the case with their care when it comes to using a gestational carrier.
1: Yeah, I mean, New York patients are very educated. They're, they're very savvy, which makes it great. It, it is a little more challenging uh, because they've always read the latest, newest thing, which may or may not be a, a real thing, <laughs> and so you have to kind of navigate around that. But um, it, you know, the best part about practicing in New York is is the patients. They're they're just. Amazing. They're diverse. They're single women. They're lesbian couples. They're gay gay men, couples, single men, and and then traditional couples. Uh, We help people build families, and it's great because love-wanted children are the secret sauce to a better world.
0: So before we talk a little bit more about the legislative hurdle that we've now overcome in New York, uh, let's talk about the past and why New York laws lag so far behind the rest of the country. And I think that it really centers upon and and you're going to illuminate this for our listeners, it centers upon the difference between what was considered traditional surrogacy or is traditional surrogacy, and gestational carriers. Can you define both for us and then talk a little bit about the history in New York?
1: Yeah, and, and I think what's really important is that history be understood. And that language be very precise. So the original case that led to the law that uh, was written, I don't even remember the year, was a case where Maribeth Whitehead carried a pregnancy which came from her egg. And she was inseminated uh, with the husband of a part of a couple that was going to get the baby. Um, so she was carrying a baby that was her egg and the husband's sperm. And in the midst of pregnancy, she changed her mind. And it became this awful, you know, litigation that the, I think the litigators and the lawyers at the time, not knowing where the future was going, passed a very uh, restrictive law. It basically outlawed someone like me, criminalized someone like me for helping a patient have a family in a way that's similar. Um, what they didn't anticipate in the law was that there would, become, there would come a day where we could take eggs and embryos and make embryos, from a couple or an individual, and put genetic material in a gestational carrier. So that's where the term gestational surrogate or gestational carrier I think is a more precise term because it implies that this embryo has nothing to do with the carrier. She's basically carrying a pregnancy for someone else. I don't like to use the word incubator, but it's kind of what it is. They're they're carrying a a pregnancy not related to them so someone else can have a baby who couldn't otherwise, and so it's a different matter. And in that case, then the legislation that was passed prevented us from helping that couple or the woman who didn't have a uterus because she had a hysterectomy but had embryos or, or the woman who was born without a uterus or the, the gay couple where there is no uterus. Um, you know, it, it basically cut them out of building families. And it w- wasn't the intent of the law. The intent of the law was to avoid a situation where someone changed their mind in the middle of the Game, but that doesn't happen with the way uh, gestational carriers have been done for many, many years. Unfortunately, laws take so long to change, and there's so much back and forth. And you know, there were instances where the carriers were uh, maybe not treated as well as they could have been. Although my experience has been, they've they've been treated incredibly well, and they're really motivated. I mean, the money is one piece of it, but they're really motivated because. They have kids of their own. They know what that's like. They know what a gift and a privilege it is to have a child, so they can only imagine what it's like for somebody who can't have that gift. And for them being able to participate in giving that family a gift, they take their job incredibly seriously. They are amazing. And if you're you're someone who's using a gestational carrier and you're smart about how you manage your carrier, you have to treat them like they are doing the most important job in the world for you, and give them the most utmost respect. And when that happens, it's always a win-win situation. The carrier feels great about what they've done and the family who gets a baby who would not have a baby understands what a gift and a privilege that is. And I, and I think, you know, years of learning that has is now the norm. Uh, and unfortunately that one case set us up for a long haul to get there. And it's a tragedy that it took this long, but thankfully it's happening.
0: Thankfully, and you're right about the glacial pace of laws, right? It takes a very long time, and I, I have to t- sort of um, you know, sprinkle in a little anecdotal uh, um, comment here that when I started 25 years ago, I would refer to the Mary Beth Moorhead case routinely, and people always knew what I was talking about, right, particularly patients. They understood it was still fairly recent in the public's memory. Now when you mention it, they have no idea what I'm talking about. So I think that that just proves how far we've come, and how many advancements have been made? But there's still work to do. We still have states where it is uh, outlawed, such as Michigan. It's criminal. It can be criminal if it's compensated. Uh, Louisiana, Virginia, to a, a lesser degree. So we, you know, we still have some work to do out there. But you know, kudos to New York for finally moving this ahead. And you know, to your comment about surrogates being smart, clear thinking, well informed. Uh, Of course, I I couldn't agree more with that. So when we think about um, how this law is going to impact the lives of New Yorkers, what do you think the next few years hold for families going through surrogacy journeys together?
1: Well, it allows them to do it here in New York, and they don't have to travel, and add extra cost and burden and complexity to an already complex process. It respects them as people who want to have children, and they should Get that respect. I mean, anybody who wants to have a child should have respect and and have opportunity. Um, And and so it's it's a big breakthrough for our our New York patients and also for women in New York who want to be a gestational carrier because you know that is an amazing job that someone does. It's not like I said not just about the money. They feel like they have made a huge difference in the world by doing what they've done, and they you know they often have, you know, they have children of their own. They often, you know, love being pregnant. And here's an opportunity for them to, you know, provide a gift to a couple or an individual who wants to raise a child as their own, uh, who couldn't otherwise carry that child. And, and you know, they, they, they really enjoy that. Um, and, and the gift that they give, they feel really special and positive about. So taking that away from them has been, I think, really kind of a tragedy as much as the patients who couldn't benefit from it.
0: Sure. And what is of particular interest to our listeners, it might be that the New York law actually offers a surrogate bill of rights, which is unique in the field. So there's even more added protection. And I I would encourage everybody that um, is new to the idea of surrogacy to know that when there are good laws in place, it really is for the benefit and protection of all parties involved.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But at the end of the day, Laws are laws. The people who are providing these services, need to, we need to do our job. We need to do it well. We need to make sure everybody understands what's going on. So we need to have the legal field involved in helping understand the law. We need the medical field helping to understand the medical aspects. We need to have the psychologists involved to help them understand things that have come up in the past so they know how to manage them. And it really is a comprehensive group effort to make this successful. And when that happens, it, it's a miracle and amazing. And when we fail, uh, it's it's a tragedy.
0: So prior to the law being passed, um, can you share with our listeners just a little snapshot of what it took to have one of your patients embark on a surrogacy journey since New York didn't have favorable laws and they needed to go elsewhere for their journey? What did that look like for your patient?
1: Well, most, most of them had to go elsewhere. But the case that reminds me, most uh, your question reminds me most of is in 1990 something don't remember exactly um this woman kept having ectopics from her beautiful embryos and she had many and she had one ectopic that caused her uterus to rupture and she ended up with a hysterectomy so now here's a woman childless with embryos in the freezer and nowhere to put them um and you know we tried to work out a situation where somebody else carried in a state where it was legal but this is at a time where there weren't even very many states where that was the case. And we were able, in New York, there was this altruistic carrier. Her sister-in-law was able to carry, but we were terrified because, you know, we are subject to being criminals doing this in New York and doing the transfer in New York at the time. So, you know, as a doctor, your whole career on your line trying to help a patient is not a very pleasant feeling. And, and you know, we know what our intent is. We know what we're doing. To think that someone out there is going to judge us as breaking the law and want to put us in jail for that, really is not a good feeling. (laughs) When you know what you're doing is absolutely right and good and just. Um, But, you know, mainly what we did was we would make embryos here. We would ship embryos to the place where the carrier would be in another state where the laws were more friendly, New Jersey, Connecticut, California, whatever. And, you know, it added excessive expense and burden to the patient. It meant they had to be far distance from their carrier which a lot of them like to be closer and be having contact with them personally. And um, it, it just added a whole level of complexity at, to a group of patients. Like if someone could understand and live an experience with someone who's at that stage of their fertile life, having to use that technology to have a baby, if people understood what they had to do just to get to that stage and then make that step even more difficult because of a law that didn't understand what we were doing, it's a real tragedy. Um, and And look these patients overcame it. The babies were born. They're they're amazing kids. I've seen some of them. They're older. It's it's been really great, but they didn't need to have that level of complexity and burden. It needed to be simpler, and thankfully Mm -hmm. now it will be.
0: And cost, right? When we we think about cost efficiencies that we try and tie to this process, right? Assisted reproductive technology is a costly endeavor. Um, No matter how much you try to to create efficiencies. And so when you add that level of stress, complexity, and cost, for some it can be almost an insurmountable process.
1: Yeah, and then you have a law that makes it even more costly for no good reason. That's really insult to injury.
0: Correct, true. So now that New York is about to celebrate a, a major advancement in the world of gestational surrogacy, um, what are the clinics thinking? Tell me a little bit about what's happening you know, behind the curtain, how, how the clinics are celebrating and preparing for this
1: so you know we're we're looking at the way everybody else has done gestational carrier in america and trying to take the best of everything and build our process and program in a way that you know we can do this better and learn from what everybody else has learned Um, we know the embryo side of it that's what we've been doing for years but now actually managing the carriers and and helping them get pregnant and helping them get good care and making sure that the legal care that they're all getting is is optimal um, and working with the agencies that, uh, as a team, to help these patients. Um, so we're we're busy building process and tweaking process and trying to make it better. And that's what we're doing. And it's a lot of work, but it's fun work because we know we can help a whole new group of patients now.
0: Indeed, and and I have to say a little bit self-serving, if I may. You know, we as as agency providers are so excited to be able to partner right usually it's you know we're looking to clinics and physicians and other ancillary professionals within the clinic setting to you know help us uh lead the way and i think uh i think we're all celebrating that it's our turn to help our clinic partners lead the way into uh, new territory so this is equally exciting for us as well
1: and it's great we're grateful for that because we need uh, your help your expertise and uh, to make this better for our patients, the more we learn from each other, the better everybody uh, gets and that's that's the goal.
0: And I do think what's going to be very unique for clinicians in New York in particular is you know they're obviously just in such command of the, the medical process. But will, what will be interesting and new and unique and a little bit exciting is the actual care of the surrogates themselves. You know, now we're going to see this influx, right, this wave of women who are carriers that are going to be new to your clinical setting. Right,
1: so, right? and, and that, has to be, that has to be done incredibly well. We have to do everything we can to assure that this gestational carrier will have a safe, good outcome. And, you know, we unfortunately have to screen out some patients who are more at risk because, in this setting, it's not worthy of the risk. Um, and so that that's one of the hardest parts of our job, too, is identifying those risk factors and uh, making it safe as possible and sometimes disappointing people in the process. Um, but it's all about good intent of good outcome. Um, but yes, you're, you're right. And then, you know, they also have the psychological needs that need to be addressed. And um, because it is complicated carrying someone else's pregnancy and making sure that they have all the support and that they need to do it well is is important as well. So, I mean, there's a whole group of people involved in making this process happen, and they're all worthy of care and and nurturing and uh, making it a good experience for everybody.
0: And I do think it comes at an opportune time for New York. You know, again, having been uh, in the saddle for so long, I've really seen sort of a cultural evolution uh, with surrogacy and just a mindset towards it. And now I find that it's just so normalized. So I think New York in particular is going to benefit from this, you know, this this uh, patient population that are the carriers that are just, Uh, completely okay with the concept and yes you know the psychological component is is paramount you know the support that she she receives is so important the clinical care but for her the the idea of of surrogacy has just been so normalized in popular culture now so i think you're getting a particularly um, level uh, perspective in these women and certainly, you know, they have the right motivations for for making the overture in the first place. But there's not the trepidation that we used to see in years past. So that should be exciting for you.
1: Yeah, it's 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 great. Um, we look forward to it and we're well into it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, being mindful of our time together, Dr. Griffo, you know, being such a leader in the space and having seen so much evolution in, in our field, you know, at this kind of moment in time at this precipice of jumping into surrogacy in New York, um, if you want to look back, can you point to, you know, one of your biggest aha learning moments in your career?
1: Um, you know, regarding gestational carrier, uh, was but just, just
0: in general, because this is just such a, a move forward. There's, you know, there's always like these moments in time where we just take a huge leap forward in a space. Uh, whether it's, you know, going from three to five day embryo culture, or yeah, you I mean, know, single I, embryo I transfer.
1: Exactly, single embryo transfer. I think is the most critical aha moment for this field. Uh, you know, gestational carrier putting back chromosomally normal embryos leads to such better outcomes. Um, because it turns out, depending on the age of of the egg at the time it's fertilized, you know, you can see a range of normality. Even a young egg donor, half the embryos that make it to day five are chromosomally abnormal. And we're putting those back if we're just looking instead of testing. And they don't make pregnancies and or they make miscarriages. You know, the reality is many of my patients who need gestational carrier are much older. So, for instance, a 40-year-old woman has, um, you know, 80% of the embryos she makes are abnormal and the miscarriage risk is 40%. So you put back one of those embryos without testing it and, you know, you have a carrier who's going to be uh, carrying an embryo that makes a miscarriage. It's an awful experience for the carrier. They feel like they failed, you know, reducing that incidence is huge and having better outcomes is is great. And singleton healthy pregnancies delivered at term without the preterm delivery and the problems. Uh, It's, it really is, was that aha moment where we could, You know, biopsy and embryos, select the one that's chromosomally healthy and it's going to give a good outcome. That's been been fabulous. And also, you know, some of these patients carry gene diseases that could be passed on to a child, and we can now screen embryos and avoid those things. Uh, So you go through the trouble, you have a baby that's born and the baby is unhealthy, is awful. Um, And we now have technology, before someone even gets pregnant, we can assess their risk and reduce it. And we can test the embryo for it and avoid those embryos so that their baby doesn't have cystic fibrosis or Tay-Sachs or Canavan's disease or 281 mm-hmm. other recessive genes that most people haven't ever heard of. Um, and so we, we made it safer. So, so really the pre-implantation genetic testing piece of this has been the, the big game changer for, you know, IVF in general, but this particular, this population.
0: It's so exciting. It really is. Well, Dr. Griffo, I can't thank you enough for joining me today and sharing with our listeners all the advances made in our field, and in particular, celebrating New York's law. I think this is just a boon to to patients and intended parents everywhere, not just New York.
1: And we look forward to working with you more closely rather than just being the clinic that makes the embryo and sends it somewhere else.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. You know, good quality care right under one roof. I love it. I love it. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Well, that was a treat. Uh, After being in this field for so long and knowing Dr. Griffo and his work and his team and admiring all of the strides that they've made, to have him on this program today was really something. And what a smart, generous, kind doctor. So, any patient in his care is really um, quite fortunate. And so, you know, just thinking about how much we have to celebrate, um, you know, Dr. Griffo in this program new york's uh you know advancement in in its laws uh towards surrogacy you know i always like to think about my aha moments and dr griffo really did a great job of pointing out some of the major milestones in our field and um you know those milestones are hard won we all worked so hard to achieve those milestones and they don't always come easy they don't always come fast but when they come boy, is there a reason to celebrate and we're just so happy when they do. So my biggest takeaway is that patience pays off, perseverance is always needed in these cases, and if we work long and hard enough, goals will be achieved, including those who are trying in vain to build their families uh, with the use of gestational carriers and assistive reproductive technology. Hold the course, keep going, and those goals will be achieved. Thank you again for joining me today. What an exciting program we had. And again, a huge congratulations to the state of New York and the passage of their new surrogacy law and to all the families and surrogates who will have the benefit of the protections of New York's new law. Until next time, take care. At Conceivabilities, we believe that everyone who wants to become a parent can. Our agency has helped build thousands of families for nearly 25 years. Whether you are an intended parent ready to fulfill your family destiny, a surrogate answering your calling, or an egg donor wanting to expand what's possible in your life, we are your people. See how matching matters. Learn more by joining our Surrogacy Learning Center community at surrogacylearningcenter.conceivabilities.com.